A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron. Welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and well, yes, of course, you would be right, but so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by the returning Lord Curry, a farmer, businessman and a member of the House of Lords. We'll be discussing the farming industry and how we as Christians should relate to it. But before that, last week I had the privilege of attending the National Farmers Union Conference in Birmingham. Meanwhile, down in Dover at the same time, a somewhat less official band of British farmers used tractor rallies to protest against their treatment by the government and the big supermarkets. Here, the post-Brexit trade deals negotiated by government threaten, many of us argue, to undermine high animal welfare and food standards and undercut British farmers. The supermarkets strive to keep food prices down for their customers, but this can mean that farmers are paid even less for what they produce. And farming protests seem to be escalating in France too, indeed right across Europe from Belgium to Poland. Tractor convoys have blockaded roads into Paris, Berlin and Rome and gathered outside the EU Parliament in Brussels. The protests do not seem to be coordinated. Each one raises concerns for the future of farming in their own nations, but collectively they demonstrate an outpouring of anger and frustration at a range of regulations, policies and trade deals that hit the incomes and sustainability of farmers across the continent. All over Europe, we see populist politicians appealing to rural voters based heavily upon the view that their government are ignoring them, that they care only for urban concerns and support climate change measures that they claim will put hardworking farmers out of business. We see this in Italy, where Giorgio Maloney has presented Italian food production as integral to national identity. We see it in the Netherlands, where the populist farmer-citizen movement came from nowhere last year to become the largest party in the upper chamber. We also see it in France, where the arrival of Macron at the Paris Agricultural Show caused crowds of farmers to break through security barriers and need holding back by riot police. As Christians, we should resist attempts to pit groups against one another, especially when the issues are so complex. So we shouldn't see climate change as a left-wing agenda or supporting farmers as only a priority for those on the right. After all, a changing climate means that farmland is being desiccated or deluged and rendered unfarmable. If we want to have enough to eat, then we need to support farmers and we need to tackle climate change. But how do we balance the competing tensions of the need for affordable food, safeguarding the vital work of our farmers and protecting the environment? These concerns all form part of our stewardship responsibilities set out in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We are charged with managing the land productively and responsibly and valuing its fruits. This includes giving farmers a fair price for what they produce and the conservation and protection of the environment. Farmers have a closeness and rootedness to the land that many of us have lost as we view food in terms of what we can buy from the supermarket. But those living in biblical times would recognise it, a dependence on the soil and the right weather and environmental conditions. In the Bible, abundant crops were seen as a sign of God's blessing and droughts or floods as punishments. 
Our theology does not tend to make such direct links today, but we undoubtedly reap the consequences of our actions. If the land is polluted by chemicals and sewage discharged into rivers, if government policies actively dissuade farmers from growing food or reward corporate landlords for evicting tenants who farm the land for generations, all of these things undermine our ability to feed our people and care for the environment. As an MP for a rural constituency with well over a thousand farms and being my party's agriculture spokesperson, I care deeply about farming, about high quality food, high environmental standards and animal welfare. Farmers' livelihoods are precarious like very few others. They not only rely on so many factors they have no control over, but small farmers must also wear multiple hats. They must be business people animal experts, geology experts, skilled administrators able to understand changing government legislation and guidelines, practically skilled and strong and able to turn their hand to the never-ending jobs list. A standard day, which will be every single day because animals and crops do not take days off, could be from 4am until 11pm. Farming is a high calling indeed because it involves both feeding the country and saving the planet, but it's also very hard calling. This, along with other factors like demographics and isolation, has led to a feeling of rising hopelessness for many farmers. Tragically, it is the occupation with one of the highest suicide rates in the country. The world is currently afflicted by warfare, democratic uncertainty, disrupted trade routes and displaced people. But we all depend on God's gift of our planet to sustain us. And we need to pray for trade deals and policies that uphold high standards of welfare and conservation and offer food security by supporting the farmers that feed us. We're commanded to care for the hungry and indeed to pray for our own daily bread. Let's be thankful then for those who God has ordained to produce the food that we eat and consider the politics behind making their job easier, not harder. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So to our guest today, the crossbench peer, Lord Don Curry. Don, you're really welcome. Thanks for coming back. Thank you very much, Tim. It's good to talk. Well, now we often ask guests to share their story of coming to faith, but given you've been on the show before, Don, we've sort of ticked that box already. So if it's all right with you, I was going to ask you a slightly different opening question um, since the last time you were with us. Has there been anything in your life which you're happy to share where you've seen God at work or been challenged by him about an area of work? Uh, Tim, I'm always absolutely amazed at how God works in our lives. It is such a blessing uh, to be doing the things that I do. I have to um, pinch myself, you know, when I think about my background, growing up, leaving school at 15 and uh, growing up on a farm and now finding myself in the House of Lords. It's just miraculous mm. how God has influenced my life and, uh, and, and and placed me in this place of responsibility. Now, you know, it is a huge honour, but it's also a huge responsibility to be doing the things that you do, that I do, uh, where we have to witness daily and try and be faithful to God's word. I suppose the most um, uh, uh, interesting thing that's taken place over the last couple of years is um, 
the marriage of our granddaughter. I have a granddaughter who's married. Can you believe that? And uh, wow. <laughs> she's such a lovely Christian girl, married a young doctor, and the two of them are uh, so enthusiastic about their faith. And they see these young people growing up in the fear of the Lord and uh, mm. so committed and enthusiastic. It's such a wonderful blessing. And uh, we just pray for our families constantly. Uh, they're a blessing, but we have other grandchildren we continue to pray for. Mm. Don, that's great of you to share that with us, and it is really encouraging and, and yes. wonderful news for, for you and Rhoda that, that that is the case. That is fantastic. Indeed. So let's let's talk about farming then. So let's, last week, um, maybe didn't get as much coverage as the party conferences, but the NFU, National Farmers Union Conference, was last week. You, I was there briefly. You were there for a longer period of time. How would you say the mood was there? Farmers are going through a period of real uncertainty. There is a deep concern about the future. Everyone accepts that we're through a transit, going through a transition. We've left the European Union. Uh, we're going through this seven-year transition from the basic payment scheme, which farmers were very familiar with, understood very well. It's sort of been the fu fundamental. Uh, where that farmers have been supported for most of, of the last 70 years. And that's being dismantled and it's being replaced by the new environmental schemes where farmers are paid for public goods. Uh, and those public goods are mostly in the environmental box together with the public access. There's no way that the support farmers enjoyed under the basic payment scheme are going to be, is going to be replaced by these environmental uh, payments. And so particularly the livestock farmers, those farm up in the hills and on the, in the rather more remote parts of Britain, are feeling very vulnerable indeed and deeply concerned about the impact of this on their livelihoods. If I can just add one thing, Tim, I've been saying this a number of times recently. The farming world that I grew up in, so the latter half of the last century, was influenced by the 1947 Act. And farmers were rewarded for producing food. It was entirely mm. about producing food uh, to, the, to the detriment, one could argue now, of the environment. So we produced food without taking enough account of the impact of our management systems on the environment, whether it's water quality or habitats, uh, uh, wildlife, etc. The belief now in the farming industry is the pendulum has completely swung in the other direction, 180 degrees. So we're now looking at being paid for the environment, but not being rewarded for producing food. And if we got it wrong during the latter half of the last century, the risk is we're going to get it wrong for the next half of this mm. century, because mm. we are not getting the balance right. No, and is it possible, do you think, to kind of farm and produce the amount of food we need as a country whilst also taking care of the environment? It doesn't need to be an either or? No, it doesn't, and, and I think that's the challenge, is getting the balance right. The right level of reward uh, for both delivering on the environment and producing food. Now, the policy that current government are, are pursuing at the moment assumes that the market will deliver 
uh, sufficient return for producing food. In other words, farmers will get paid uh, from what they get from the marketplace. Well, as you and I know, uh, the market is dominated by uh, largely by very large and powerful retailers. And so the market is not working perfectly in, in and not delivering adequate returns for the farmer. So in a perfect world, farmers would get the return from the market. But that, in fact, is not happening. And that's coupled with a deep concern about the trade deals the government has done mm. and whether <clears throat> farmers' uh, prices are going to be undercut by cheaper food produced to lower standards. Mm. And of course, I guess in a in a world which feels increasingly uncertain and uh, with wars and interruptions to trade and, and what have you, relying on food from overseas might not be quite the safe bet it perhaps once was. In fact, you know, when this, this policy was designed, it was designed after Brexit, there was no war in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, we we weren't subject to the same uh, global disruptions that we've had. Inflation wasn't as rampant as it's been over the last couple of years. So the policy may have may have uh, you know been uh, well founded on principles, but the world has changed, and mm. uh, the potential now for food supplies to be disrupted on a in a very uncertain world is quite high. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're joined by crossbench peer, uh, Lord Don Curry. Uh, Don, it feels to me, um, I don't know if it does to you as, as well as a, as a person who is a farmer, but as an MP for a very rural constituency, uh, there is a higher proportion of farmers and farming families who are Christians than perhaps the average in society. First of all, do you think that's right? And if it is, why do you think that might be? I think it's a mixed bag, Tim. I think um, there are some geographic areas where <clears throat> there seems to be a larger number of Christian families in the farming community than in others. Mm. I would like to think it's because we're living in God's creation, very mm. close to this amazing world that God created. Um, and farmers rely entirely you know on the weather on the natural environment on the soil all the stuff that god created that's what we are entrusted with to manage as stewards of his creation and that should make us more aware of god and his power and uh, and be more dependent on him um not always the case, however, but it should. It should be a factor that influences our daily lives. And one of the interesting things, Tim, I was at a, a science centre, Rothamsted, a lot of years ago, and uh, the scientist was talking about soil. And he said an amazing thing. He said, you know, once soil is completely degraded, you can't recreate it. Mm. And so God created the soil. And, of course, as we know, his creation was perfect. And it's our responsibility to look after that soil because once it's gone, it's gone. We can't recreate it. Only God can create soil. Isn't that an amazing thing? It is, it is amazing. And we, we talk about 
uh, what it is to be a farmer in the current uh, climate, political climate. And obviously there's the, the transition, as you said earlier on, between from the old farm payment scheme to the, the new one. Um, so it feels like a particularly uncertain time for a lot of farmers. And for farmers, again, living often quite isolated existences in this current uh, situation, we, we see that death by suicide is horrifically common amongst those who work in farming um, and serious mental health more widely. What, what can the church and what can politicians do about this? It is a deep concern. Uh, a young chap in his early 40s took his own life uh, not far from where I live in Northumberland. I knew his family well and it was an absolute tragedy mm. uh, for everyone and the whole community has been shocked by what has taken place. Mm. And farmers, as you say, do live often isolated lives. Um, there was much more connection between neighbours when in the farming world I grew up in than there is today. Uh, we were we we worked together a lot more. We we collaborated at busy mm. times. We went to help our neighbours. They came and helped us. We don't see that as much today. And uh, <clears throat> the church and the farming charities have a key role, I think, mm. in trying to provide some uh, some some obviously care, but mm. a listening ear. I mean, Farm Community Network and the other charities are, are, are critically important. And the difficulty is is reaching out to people in time, is, is un, relying on local knowledge <clears throat> to try and identify those who might need help and support and uh, be willing to share their concerns. Because farmers are quite proud people. Yeah. They don't like admitting they've got problems, mm. and so it's it's we tend to have to rely on on connections, on uh, relationships, yeah. on neighbours to flag up if there's a concern, so that we can intervene and help. But the church needs to be very much aware, and I keep I'm having these conversations regularly, as I presume you are, yeah. uh, with church leaders who want to try and help. So. If anyone is aware of any issues with neighbours or friends, they need to flag these up so that we can reach out in time. Yeah. Don, for the last couple of minutes of our conversation, let's change tack a little bit and talk about being a member of the House of Lords. So this is election year. 99% chance the election takes place in 2024. Those of us in the Commons who are seeking re-election, it'll be a frantic and interesting year. What's it like being in the Lords in the up to an election? There may be a change of government, but of course, um, members of the Lords are, are not standing for election. So what's it like at your end of the building? Well, we, we look at the other place, as we call it, with keen interest. Um, and particularly those of us on the cross benches who are not involved you know, we, when an election is announced, of course, those on the party benches in the Lords, the, those on the Conservative bench, Labour benches, Lib Dem benches, they all are required to get stuck in and help the party and go and lobby and go to constituencies and knock on doors. Where well, we on the cross benches just observe this with a little bit of humour and interest because <laughs> we're not party members, so we don't go knocking on doors. So we take a bit of time off, which is very welcome. Um, but, of course, it is important. It's important to us who's in power and, um, and the policies they are pursuing. 
clearly uh, everyone is influenced by uh, the outcome of an election. Um, there is a certain, we're going to see this right through until the election takes place, and a bit of a bemusement about one party trying to outdo the other and promise more and more. And I think on the cross benches, we look with this with a little bit of cynicism, thinking, well, you know, uh, we need to be realistic about uh, what's possible in this world. Uh, but the policies that each party will pursue clearly are important. And as a Christian, I'll be looking through the Christian lens at what statements are being made by the political leaders, by each political party, about what they might include in their manifesto and how that might impact on society as a whole mm. uh, and whether it might challenge the Christian faith mm. and our ability to continue to witness mm. to that faith. Mm. One other Lord-related question to ask you. Um, David Cameron's uh, surprise elevation to the Lords early this year, yes. or last year, I should say, and is uh, becoming the Foreign Secretary. How has that been received amongst uh, your colleagues? I think it was initially uh, quite a surprise, mm. um, in fact, a huge surprise, uh, that he was uh, brought back into government mm. and as Foreign Secretary. It's a very unusual position to be Foreign mm. Secretary in the House of Lords. I mean, as mm. you know, normally Foreign Secretaries are in the Commons, are accountable to the Commons. Mm. Uh, so he's in the Lords. Um, he's a very polished performer when he's standing at the bench. He's an experienced politician. Um, and uh, most of us have been quite impressed with how he's responded to questions in the Lords. I still think it's a rather odd arrangement. Indeed. Um, so look, as we, as we close our time together, uh, Don, I wonder if we can be praying for you in the House of Lords over the next year. What would we would it be good for us to pray for i always as you know tim always pray for wisdom and we're encouraged to pray for wisdom and rightly so we need i need wisdom and discernment about how to use my time wisely to bring glory to god i think is my request We'll be praying for that, Don. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thanks ever so much for Thank you, Tim. all that you do um, in Northumberland and in the Lords and within the farming community and uh, being a good friend. I'm really grateful. Thank you very much, Tim. Have a good day. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, Tim has been in touch. Hello. And Tim says, last week, a number of MPs said they had no confidence in the Speaker of the House of Commons. We've also seen similar comments about recent prime ministers. The Bible tells us to use words that build people up. So how would you justify saying you don't have confidence in someone's ability to do their job? Well, uh, Tim, thanks for the question. Last Wednesday night, people will remember an absolute furore in the House of Commons because the Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, selected a Labour amendment for debate or vote ahead of an SNP one on the day of an SNP-led opposition 
day debate. It was all about Gaza. There were concerns about MP safety because of the hostility and rising tensions over this particular issue. And there were calls after this for Lindsay Hoyle to resign from the SNP and indeed some quarters of the Conservative Party as well. Now then, I think, Tim, you're very right. We are called to build people up. We're certainly awesome, certainly called to speak with grace and kindness and to be thoughtful of uh, mindful of others' feelings. My, my view is simply this. There are times when somebody has in their office abused it, uh, overstepped the mark, and they will have lost the confidence or indeed the right to continue in that role. But from my perspective as a, a member of parliament, you've got to be very sparing about the times you deploy the uh, call for someone to step down or resign or to say you have no confidence in them. Having no confidence in somebody is not the same as saying you you disagree with somebody. There's often people who are in power that I disagree with. That's not the same as me thinking they aren't legitimately in that place. So my view for what it's worth is that it's possible that Lindsay Hoyle made a mistake last week procedurally. Possible. I'm no expert. But I'm also certain, A, that his motives were good. And I'm absolutely sure that this is a rare occurrence. So I think to say that you have no confidence in someone after they may have made one mistake for a perfectly good and understandable reason is a massive overreach. I also think, however, that there are times when Christians need to remember that if those in power are abusing that power, then it isn't it isn't godly for us to remain sopperly neutral. There are times and we do need to, in our anger, do not sin, but be angry and to call for people to go when it's right to do so. My humble opinion, that's not the case for the current speaker. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Let's end our time together in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we bring to you all those in our country and beyond who feed us, those who rear the animals, who uh, grow the crops and uh, who produce the food that we rely on to survive. And in a relatively affluent country, we can take all of that for granted. Help us not to. Help us always to be grateful to those who help to feed us and also, above all, above all else, to be grateful to you for providing that food through those people. Sustain them, we pray. We think of our farmers at this time. It's a difficult period, a time of transition, a time of great uncertainty. Um, and farming by its nature is often an isolated an isolating profession. Uh, many people who uh, work on their own and bear huge burdens uh, and great uncertainty and worry about the future. We recognise with a shudder the truth of uh, the high suicide rates amongst those working in farming, in agriculture more widely. And so we just pray that through a variety of organisations, and we thank you that they exist, you would deliver support to all those um, who work the land and who provide the food and who feed us. We just pray that you bless them, uh, provide them with people to turn to. We pray for the church. We pray for the work of Christians in rural communities. They would reach out to those who are the most isolated and give them that uh, thing they need above all else, even more than food, which is the hope that can be found only in Jesus. Uh, we do pray that we as a country would not be complacent about where our food comes from, be grateful to you for it, and uh, support the policies that would make sure we protect those who provide it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash A Mucky Business. Thanks very much for joining us again. <laughs>